0: Chapter eight of the giant's robe by f Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight. Bad news. It was Christmas week, and Mrs. Langton and her daughters were sitting late one afternoon in the drawing-room where we saw them first. Dolly was on a low stool at her mother's feet, submitting, not too willingly, to have the bow in her hair smoothed and arranged for her. "'It must be all right now, mother,' she said, breaking away rebelliously at last. "'It's worse than ever, Dolly,' said Mrs. Langton plaintively. "'It's slipped over to the left now. "'But it doesn't matter. "'It never will keep straight long.' "'Well, if you like to run about like a little wild child,' was the resigned answer. "'Little wild children don't wear bows in their hair. "'They wear—well, they don't wear anything they've got to be careful and tidy about.' i think that must be rather nice said dolly turning round from where she knelt on the hearthrug wake up frisk and be good-tempered directly mother on christmas day i'm going to tie a christmas card round frisk's neck and send him into papa's dressing-room to wish him a merry christmas the first thing in the morning you won't tell him before the time will you not if you don't wish it darling said mrs langton placidly i mightn't have had him to tie a card too said dolly "'taking the dog up and hugging him fondly, "'if that gentleman had not fetched him out of the train for me. "'And I never said thank you to him, either. "'I forgot somehow, and when I remembered, he was gone. "'Should you think he will come to see me, Mabel? "'You told him that Mother would be glad to thank him some time, didn't you, "'on the paper you gave the guard for him?' "'Yes, Dolly,' said Mabel, turning her head a little way. "'But you see, he hasn't come yet.' my dear said the mother really i think he shows better taste in keeping away there was no necessity to send him a message at all and i hope he won't take any advantage of it thanking people is so tiresome and after all they never think you have said enough about it it was very kind of the young man of course very though i can't say i ever quite understood what it was he did it was something in a fog i know she concluded vaguely we told you all about it mother explained dolly i'll tell you all over again there was a fog and our train stopped and we all got out and i left frisk behind and there he was in the carriage all alone and then the gentleman ran back and got him out and brought him to me and another train came up behind and stopped too dolly tells it rather tamely said mabel her cheeks flushing again at the time he ran back for the dog We could all hear the other train rushing up in the fog mamma and nobody knew whether there might not be a frightful collision in another minute then i think it was an extremely rash thing for him to do my dear and if i were his mother i should be very angry with him he was very good-looking wasn't he mabel said dolly irrelevantly was he dolly well yes i suppose he was rather said mabel with much outward indifference, and an inward and very vivid picture of Mark's face as he leaned by the stile, his fine eyes imploring her not to leave him. "'Well, perhaps he doesn't care about being thanked, or doesn't want to see us again,' said Dolly. "'If he did, he'd call, you know. You wrote the address on the paper.' Mabel had already arrived at the same conclusion, and was secretly a little piqued and hurt by it. She had gone slightly out of her way to give him an opportunity of seeing her again, if he wished, and he had chosen not to take advantage of it. It had not seriously disturbed her peace of mind, but her pride was wounded notwithstanding. At times, she was ready to believe that there had been some mistake or miscarriage with her message, otherwise it was strange that the admiration which it had not been difficult to read in his eyes should have evaporated in this way why here's papa home already cried dolly as the door opened and a tall man entered how do you do papa you've rumpled my bow you didn't think i meant it did you you can do it again if you like i don't mind a bit mother does he had duly returned the affectionate hug with which dolly had greeted him but now he put her aside with a rather preoccupied air and went to his wife's chair kissing the smooth forehead she presented still absently you are early gerald she said did the courts rise sooner to-day no he said conscientiously it's the vacation now i left chambers as soon as i could get away and he was folding and unfolding the evening paper he had brought in with him as he stood silent before the fire mr langton was not much over fifty and a handsome man still with full clear eyes a well-cut chin and mouth iron-grey whiskers and a florid complexion which years spent in stifling law-courts and -and dust-and-black laden chambers had not done much to turn down young barristers and solicitors clerks were apt to consider him rather a formidable personage in lincoln's inn and he was certainly imposing as he rustled along new square or chancery lane his brows knitted a look of solemn importance about his tightly-closed lips and his silk gown curving out behind him like a great black sail he had little imperious ways in court too of beckoning a client to come to him from the well or of waving back a timid junior who had plucked his gown to draw his attention to some suggestion with a brusque not now i can't hear that now which suggested immeasurable gulfs between himself and them but at home he unbent A little consciously perhaps but he did unbend being proud and fond of his children who at least stood in no fear of him long years of successful practice had had a certain narrowing effect upon him the things of his profession were almost foremost in his mind now and when he travelled away from them he was duller than he once promised to be his humour had slowly dwindled down until it had just sufficient for ordinary professional purposes and none at all for private consumption. In his favour it may be added that he was genial to all whom he did not consider his inferiors, a good, though not a demonstrative, husband, that as a lawyer he was learned without the least pedantry, and that he was a bencher of his inn, where he frequently dined, and a Member of Parliament, where he never spoke, even on legal matters. Mabel's quick eyes were the first to notice a shade on his face and a constraint in his manner. She went to his side and said in an undertone, "'You are not feeling ill, Papa, are you? Or has anything worried you to-day?' "'I am quite well. I have news to tell you presently,' he said in the same tone. "'Come and see my Christmas cards before I do them up,' said Dolly, from a side-table. "'I am going to send one to each of my friends, except Clara Haycroft, or if i do send her one she added thoughtfully it will be only a penny one and i shall write her name on the back so that she can't use it again clara has not behaved at all well to me lately if i sent one to vincent now papa would he get it in time no no said her father a little sharply and look here pussy run away now and see how colin is getting on and come back and tell you inquired dolly very well papa "'Don't come back till I send for you,' he said. "'Mind that now, Dolly, stay in the schoolroom.' He shut the door carefully after her, and then, turning to his wife and daughter, he said, "'You haven't either of you seen the papers to-day, I suppose?' "'No,' said Mrs Langton. "'You know I never read daily papers.' "'Gerald,' she cried suddenly, with a light coming into her eyes, "'is another judge dead?' "'Visions of her husband on the bench.' a townhouse in a more central part of london an increase of social consideration for herself and daughters began to float into her brain it's not that if there was i'm not likely to be offered a judgeship just yet it's not good news bell i'm afraid it's very bad he said warningly very bad indeed oh papa cried mabel please don't break it to us tell it at once whatever it is you must let me choose my own course my dear i am coming to the point at once the globe has a telegram from lloyd's agent reporting the total loss of the mangalore vincent's ship said mabel is-is he saved we cannot be certain of anything just yet and-and these disasters are generally exaggerated in the first accounts but i'm afraid there is very grave reason to fear that the poor boy went down with her not many passengers were on board at the time and only four or five of them were saved and they are women we can hope for the best still but i cannot after reading the particulars feel any confidence myself i made inquiries at the owners offices this afternoon but they could tell me very little just yet though they will have fuller information by tomorrow, but from what they say i cannot feel very hopeful Mabel hid her face, trying to realize that the man who had sat opposite to her there scarcely a month ago, with the strange, almost prophetic sadness in his eyes, was lying somewhere still and white, fathoms deep under the sea. She was too stunned for tears just yet. "'Gerald,' said Mrs. Langton, "'Vincent is drowned, I'm sure of it. I feel this will be a terrible shock to me by and by. I don't know when I shall get over it.' poor poor dear fellow to think that the last time i saw him was that evening we dined at the gordon's you remember gerald a dull dinner and he saw me into the carriage and stood there on the pavement saying good-bye mrs langton seemed to consider that these circumstances had a deep pathos of their own she pressed her eyes daintily with her handkerchief before she could go on why didn't he sail by one of the safe lines she murmured the p and o never lost a single life he might have gone in one of them and been alive now my dear Bell," said her husband we can't foresee these things it-it was to be i suppose is nothing more known said mabel with a strong effort to control her voice here is the account stay i can give you the effect of it it was in the indian ocean not long after leaving bombay somewhere off the malabar coast and the ship seems to have grazed a sunken reef which ripped a fearful hole in her side without stopping her course they were not near enough to the land to hope to reverse the engines and back her on shore at full speed she began to settle down fast by the head and their only chance was in the boats which unfortunately had nearly all become jammed in the davits every one appears to have behaved admirably they managed at last to launch one of the boats and to put the women into it and they were trying to get out the others when the vessel went down suddenly not a quarter of an hour after striking the reef vincent could swim papa said mabel with gleaming eyes he was not a first-rate swimmer said mr langton i remember that and even a first-rate swimmer would have found it hard work to reach the shore if he had not been drawn down with the ship as seems to have been the fate of most of the poor fellows. Still, of course, there is always hope." "'And he is dead—Vincent, dead! It seems so hard—so very, very sad,' said Mabel, and began to cry softly. "'Cry, darling,' said Mrs. Langton. "'It will do you good. I'm sure I wish I could cry like that. It would be such a relief but you know papa says we may hope yet we won't give up all hope till we're obliged to we must be brave you really don't care about coming in to dinner you won't have a little something sent up to your room well i feel as if food would choke me myself but i must go in to keep papa company will you tell this sad news to dolly and colin and ask frulein to keep them with her till bedtime i can't bear to see them just yet Mr. Langton's decorous concern did not interfere with his appetite, and Mrs. Langton seemed rather relieved at being able to postpone her grief for the present. And so Mabel was left to break the disaster, and the fate there was too much reason to fear for Vincent to her younger brother and sister—a painful task, for Holroyd had been very dear to all three of them. Fräulein Moser, too, wept with a more than sentimental sorrow for the young man she had tried to help who would need her assistance never again the tidings had reached mark early that same afternoon he was walking home through the city from some holiday classes he had been superintending at st peter's when the heading loss of a passenger steamer with blank lives on the contents sheet of the evening papers caught his eyes and led him when established with a globe in one of the underground railway carriages to turn with a languid interest to the details He started when he saw the name of the vessel, and all his indifference left him as he hurriedly read the various accounts of the disaster, and looked in vain for Vincent's name amongst the survivors. The next day he, too, went up to the owner's offices to make inquiries, and by that time full information had come in, which left it impossible that any but those who had come ashore in the longboat could have escaped from the ship they had remained near the scene of the wreck for some time but without picking up more than one or two of the crew the rest must all have been sucked down with the ship which sank with terrible suddenness at the last vincent was certainly not amongst those in the boat while as appeared from the agent's list he was evidently on board when the ship left bombay it was possible to hope no longer after that and mark left the offices with the knowledge that holroyd and he had indeed taken their last walk together that he would see his face and take his hand no more it came to him with a shock the unavoidable shock which a man feels when he has suddenly to associate the idea of death with one with whom he has had any intimacy he told himself he was sorry and for a moment vincent's fate seemed somehow to throw a sort of halo round his memory But very soon the sorrow faded, until at last it became little more than an uneasy consciousness that he ought to be miserable, and was not. Genuine grief will no more come a command than genuine joy, and so Mark found, not without some self-reproach, he even began to read In Memoriam again, with the idea of making that the keynote for his emotions, but the passionate yearning of that lament was pitched too high for him. "'and he never finished it. "'He recognised that he could not think of his lost friend "'in the way their long intimacy seemed to demand, "'and solved the difficulty by not thinking of him at all, "'compounding for his debt of inward mourning "'by wearing a black tie which, "'as he was fond of a touch of colour in his costume, "'and as the emblem in question was not strictly required of him, "'he looked upon as, so to speak, a fairly respectable dividend.' caffyn heard the news with a certain satisfaction a formidable rival had been swept out of his path and he could speak of him now without any temptation to depreciate his merits so much so that when he took an opportunity one day of referring to his loss he did it so delicately that mabel was touched and liked him better for his indication of feeling than she had ever been able to do before her own sorrow was genuine enough requiring no artificial stimulus and no outward tokens to keep it alive and if vincent could have been assured of this it would have reconciled him to all else no callousness nor forgetfulness on the part of others could have had power to wound him so long as he should live on in the memory of the girl he had loved but it is better far for those who are gone that they should be impervious alike to our indifference and our grief for the truest grief will be insensibly deadened by time, and could not long console the least exacting for the ever-widening oblivion. End of chapter Eight.